Eureka by John Thomas Volume 1, Chapter 1 Section 1, Part 5 Apocalypse Rooted in the Prophets In treating of the causes which operated the rapid progress of the Gospel in the first 200 years of our era, the historian of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, thus expresses himself with reference to the great subject matter of the Apocalypse. The ancient and popular doctrine of the millennium, says Gibbon, was intimately connected with the second coming of Christ. As the works of creation had been finished in six days, their duration in their present state according to a tradition which was attributed to the prophet Elijah, was fixed to 6,000 years. By the same analogy, it was inferred that this long period of labour and contention, which was now almost elapsed, as they supposed, would be succeeded by a joyful Sabbath of a thousand years, and that Christ, with the triumphant band of the saints and the elect who had escaped death, or who had been miraculously revived, would reign upon earth till the time appointed for the last and general resurrection. So pleasing was this hope to the minds of believers that the new Jerusalem, the seat of this blissful kingdom, was quickly adorned with all the gayest colours of the imagination, a felicity consisting only of pure and spiritual pleasure would have appeared too refined for its inhabitants, who were still supposed to possess their human nature and senses. A garden of Eden, with the amusements of pastoral life, was no longer suited to the advanced state of society which prevailed under the Roman Empire. A city was therefore erected, of gold and precious stones, and a supernatural plenty of corn and wine was bestowed on the adjacent territory, in the free enjoyment of whose spontaneous productions the happy and benevolent people was never to be restrained by any jealous laws of exclusive property. The assurance of such a millennium was carefully inculcated by a succession of fathers, from Justin Martyr and Irenaeus, who conversed with the immediate disciples of the apostles, down to Lactantius, who was preceptor to the son of Constantine. Though it might not be universally received, it appears to have been the reigning sentiment of the orthodox believers, and it seems so well adapted to the desires and apprehensions of mankind that it must have contributed in a very considerable degree to the progress of the Christian faith. But when the edifice of the church was almost completed, the temporary support was laid aside. The doctrine of Christ's reign upon earth was at first treated as a profound allegory, was considered by degrees as a doubtful and useless opinion, and was at length rejected as the absurd invention of heresy and fanaticism. A mysterious prophecy, the Apocalypse, which still forms a part of the sacred canon, but which was thought to favour the exploded sentiment, has very narrowly escaped the prescription of the church. This is the impartial testimony 
of a man who was well acquainted with the literature of the times contemporary with and immediately succeeding those of the apostles, and who conceived that the propagators of Christianity were deceived and of such low morality that they did not hesitate to invent and promulgate lies to gain their ends. This was doubtless the case with the Babel builders of what Gibbon calls the church. But it is a gross calumny when insinuated against those servants of God to whom the apocalypse was sent. Gibbon's testimony, however, is important and useful in this. 1. That it proves that the nearer we approach to the times of the apostles, the stronger and more universal was the belief of the apocalyptic teaching concerning the millennium and reign of Christ and the saints upon the earth. 2. That it was well adapted to the desires and apprehensions of mankind. 3. That so long as it continued the reigning sentiment, the faith rapidly progressed. 4. That when the edifice erecting by the sons of Balaam and Jezebel was almost completed, the doctrine of Christ's reign began to be abandoned. 5. That when they had completed the apostasy, the doctrine was repudiated as heresy and fanaticism. And 6. That the apocalypse itself had a narrow escape of being expelled from the canon of inspiration. But here we beg leave to remark that the doctrine of Messiah's reign with the saints on earth for a long season did not originate with the apocalypse. It is the burden of all the prophets, from Moses to Malachi. Moses teaches that the seed of Abraham shall be a great nation, that that nation with Abraham and his seed, the prophet like to him, shall possess the Holy Land for ever, that all nations shall be blessed in them, and that then the whole earth shall be full of Yahweh's glory. This is the future state which Moses preached as the gospel to Israel. Nor was the preaching confined to him. The proclamation was amplified in all the prophets. The songs of Yahweh are full of it. Isaiah announced it in glowing terms and tells us that in vision he saw the king upon his throne who is to reign in righteousness on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem gloriously in the presence of his ancients or saints whose death shall be swallowed up in victory. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, and 32, verse 1, 24, verse 23, and 25, verse 8. Jeremiah testifies to the same effect, telling us that Yahweh will raise up to David a righteous branch, that this man shall be king of Israel, reigning and prospering, and executing judgment and justice in the earth, that in his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel and Jerusalem shall dwell safely, that he shall be for the righteousness of the nation, that then Jerusalem shall be called the throne of Yahweh, 
that all nations shall be concentrated to it as the throne of empire, and that they shall all be enlightened and blessed in their king, who shall be called the God of the whole earth. Chapter 3, verse 17, 23, verses 5 and 6, 33, verse 15, and Isaiah 54, verse 5. The Apocalypse in Ezekiel Ezekiel prophesies that the dry tree of Israel, which now bears no fruit, shall be made to flourish in the mountain of the heights of Israel, where it shall shoot forth boughs and bear fruit, and that under its branching foliage shall dwell all fowl of every wing. Chapter 17 verses 22 to 24. He tells us concerning that epoch that the kingdom of Israel shall be given to a man of low station, whose right it is, that he shall be a plant of renown, that he shall be a David, that he shall be prince or high priest of Israel for an aeon, that he shall be immortal, that the holy land shall be as the Garden of Eden, or Paradise, that the twelve tribes of Israel shall be a united nation, and form one kingdom in the land, that a magnificent temple shall be built in Jerusalem, differing from that of Solomon, that the Dead Sea shall be healed, and become as productive of fish as the Mediterranean, and that from the time of the establishment of these things, the old name of the city shall be abolished, that it shall no longer be Jeru, they shall see Shalayim, peace. But Yahweh Shammah, he who shall be, is there. Chapter 21, verses 26 and 27, 34, verses 29 and 23, 37, verse 25 and verse 22, Chapter 36 and verse 35, chapter 47, verses 8 to 10, and chapter 48, verse 35. The Apocalypse in Daniel Daniel foretold the establishment of a kingdom which shall be a great military power in its beginning, and of perpetual continuance that it shall conquer all kingdoms extant in the latter days, that until then the kingdom of men would bear rule over all the earth, until seven times, 2,520 years, should be completed, which is the age of Nebuchadnezzar's image from the first year of his reign, B.C. 608. That these two kingdoms the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men, should be antagonist kingdoms in all their elements and principles, that till the end of a period of 1260 years the kingdom of men should prevail against the saints, or heirs of the kingdom of God, that it should also destroy the power of the Jews and rule over Palestine to the end of that period, that when this end should arrive, the power of God 
should be apocalypsed or revealed in the person of Michael, the Prince of Princes, who shall appear to deliver Israel and awake the dead. That in effecting this deliverance, the thrones or kingdoms of this world shall be cast down and the kingdom of men transferred to the saints who shall possess it under the whole heaven ad almar during an aeon or millennium we add alam almaya even for the aeon of the aeons or a season and a time chapter 2 verse 44 chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 chapter 8 verse 24 chapter 7 verses 21 22 and 25 chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 and chapter 7 verses 9 18 27 and 12 the apocalypse in hosea hosea declares that judah shall be saved by yahweh their elohim that is by messiah that in the countries where it is now said to them ye are not the people of yahweh there they shall be called the sons of the living God. He says also that at that time Judah and Israel shall become a united nation and agree to place themselves under one chief, that he shall betroth the nation to himself for the aeon, that they shall hear Jezreel, that he shall be a David and that this shall come to pass in the latter days, and that these, the days of their national resurrection, shall be in the third day, after their being rent and removed out of his sight. This can only mean during a third period of a thousand years. The present year of Ephraim's rending and dispersion is 2588, which is synchronical with that of our era, 1861. Chapter 1, verses 7, 10, and 11. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 22. Chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And chapter 6, verse 2. The Apocalypse in Joel. Joel, though brief, is very explicit and coincident with the above. After predicting terrible calamities upon Israel and their country by the lions of Assyria and others, he consoles the nation with the assurance that after the Gentiles had filled up the measure of their abominations, Yahweh will be jealous for his land and will pity his people and that they shall no more be made a reproach among the nations. He predicted that Yahweh will do great things, at which the children of Zion shall be glad, and that they shall rejoice in Yahweh, their Elohim, or Christ, that he would give them the latter reign of the Spirit, as on Pentecost of the first month, and the former reign, lit Dakar, on account of righteousness, in the seventh month, 
which is also the first of the civil year. That in this period there shall be restoration, and that henceforth Yahweh's people shall never be ashamed. He foretold that between the two spirit reign periods, Zion's sun should be turned into darkness, and the moon of her ecclesiastical heavens into blood, before the great and terrible day of Yahweh should be apocalypsed, or revealed, upon Israel's enemies, whose destruction shall proceed from Mount Zion and Jerusalem, in which shall be deliverance for the remnant whom Yahweh shall call. He further makes known that in the days of the restoration of Judah and Jerusalem, Yahweh will gather all national armies into the valley of Jehoshaphat, or Armageddon, and there contend with them in battle for the possession of the Holy Land, that on the eve of this contest a proclamation shall be made among the nations, stirring them up to the war, which in the Apocalypse is styled the war of that great day of God Almighty, that at this epoch of restoration Yahweh shall lead down his warriors to the conflict in the Valley of Judgment, that the harvest sickle and the vintage press shall then do their work, that Yahweh, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, shall roar out of Zion, and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and shake the heavens and the earth of the non-Jewish world, whose sun and moon shall be darkened, and the shining of their stars shall be destroyed, that when this is consummated, Jerusalem shall be holy, and no strangers or enemies shall henceforth pass through her any more, that the land shall be as paradise, flowing with wine and milk, being so rich in vines and pasturage, fountains and running streams, and to crown the whole, Joel testifies with Ezekiel, Jeremiah and Isaiah, that Yahweh then dwells in Zion, the place of rest and city of the great king. Chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 2, verses 18, 19, 23, 24, 26, 31 and 32, and chapter 3, verses 1, 2, 9, 11 to 18, 20 and 21.